Jesus debates the resurrection, resolved, the dead are raised. Jesus argues the affirmative, yes, the dead are raised. His opponents are the Sadducees who don't believe that. For me, this text brings back memories. My first sermon ever was on it. It was in November 1980 at Christ Church, Hyde Park in Boston, my second year in seminary. And I told them about my sister's husband, Robin, who was dying from a brain tumor at the age of 39. I dedicated my sermon to him a month before he died. Let's see how this debate unfolds. From their side, the Sadducees serve up a reductio absurdum. Are the dead raised? No, because that would lead to an absurd result. And they tell their story of the unlucky widow who married and then buried seven brothers in succession. If the dead are raised, she will find herself married to them all, which is crazy. Claim, evidence, warrant, they've met the burden of proof. The ball in his court, Jesus must offer a rebuttal. He might have countered that Jacob was married at the same time to Leah and her sister Rachel, and no one called that crazy. That argument would have been about 2,000 years before its time, and Jesus doesn't use it. Instead, he rebuts by dissolving his opponent's premise. The Sadducees have assumed that marriages made in this life would continue in a new one. Not so, says Jesus Christ. Those who are considered worthy of a place in the life to come neither marry nor are giving, given in marriage. That is, to say the least, an interesting disclosure. And voila, by resolving the absurdity, it meets the burden of rejoinder. My sister Caroline grieved Robin's death intensely. And then she married Jim, and they've been married happily married now for almost 40 years. I imagine that they are glad not to have to worry or haggle over who will be married to whom in paradise. Deciding who will be buried next to whom is hard enough. Now, Jesus serves another argument. A logical proof built from premises in scripture his opponents would accept. How did God identify himself to Moses? Everybody knew the answer. I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. Did Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob die? They did. So here is the proof, dear Watson, a simple matter of deduction. God is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. God is the God of the living, not the dead. Therefore, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, who died, were raised. For Luke and his early Christian readers, this little debate is merely academic. They all know what is coming. This is chapter 20 in Luke's gospel. 
We are already in Jerusalem between Palm Sunday and Good Friday. That the dead are raised will very soon be seen in Jesus Easter morning. For proof, observation beats logic seven days a week. In my student sermon at Christ Church Hyde Park, I also took the affirmative. Yes, the dead are raised, Christ the first fruits, and we in him. For Christian faith, I said, this belief is of the essence, like hydrogen to water. To extract the belief would dissolve the faith. Thirty-nine years later, that is still what I think, and I've never been shy about saying so. When I heard of a priest, long gone, who told his church he did not believe the dead are raised, not Christ, not us, I called it pastoral malpractice. I'm thinking of a day in my ministry here that I will not forget. It was August 30th, 2016, a Tuesday morning. Three priests from this cathedral, Investments, stood in a small front yard in Hillcrest, waiting for an ambulance from Children's Hospital with a mother and a father and their dying child on life support. The ambulance pulled in and we all went inside the house with a nurse to help the baby boy. We baptized him with water and anointed him with holy oil. Walter, you are sealed by the Holy Spirit in baptism and marked as Christ's own forever. We visited, enjoyed refreshments, and took many pictures. Then the mother nodded to us and said, it's time. The nurse administered medicine for pain and began to disconnect the life support. We prayed. By your holy incarnation, by your cross and passion, by your precious death and burial, good Lord, deliver him. By your glorious resurrection and ascension and by the coming of the Holy Spirit, good Lord, deliver him. We turn to the child. Depart, O Christian soul, out of this world. In the name of God the Father, the Almighty, who created you. In the name of Jesus Christ, who redeemed you. In the name of the Holy Spirit, who sanctifies you. May your rest be this day in peace, in your dwelling place in the paradise of God. If I couldn't pray all that and mean it, I couldn't be a priest. I would be depriving grieving parents of the beautiful hope that filled that August morning with the Holy Spirit, withholding medicine that heals. As dean, I would not have hired a priest who disbelieved in the resurrection. Were I a bishop, I would not ordain one. But let me also say this. I am a doctor of theology. In theology, as in medicine, there should be a rule to do no harm. So I would not expose a priest for disbelieving, nor fire one, much less try one as a heretic. 
Those kinds of things are a devil's playground, and I try not to give the devil much to play with. With inquisitions, the cure may be worse than the disease. Karl Barth agreed. Barth's theological career stretched from the Wright brothers almost to Apollo 11. In that era, the Sadducees were called Bultmanians after Rudolf Bultmann, the German theologian. Bultmann felt certain that science-minded modern people had outgrown belief in miracles, the Easter miracle included. No doubt, some think they have. Rather than disavowing Christian faith, Bultmann set out to reinterpret it. Miracles were myths, so a theologian's work was to demythologize their meaning. Demythologized, Christ is risen, means the Lord is risen in our hearts or in our minds or in our ethical commitments. That interpretation spread through fifth seminary faculties and through their students. Its influence in the church ran wide and deep. That long-gone priest I mentioned was probably a Bultmanian. Bart was a fierce critic of that movement, bold in his faith that Christ was raised, and clear that on that fact our faith in Christ depends. What Bart wasn't was a bouncer, pulling heretics off the dance floor and throwing them out of church or pastorates or seminary faculties. Bart believed the best response to heresy was gospel. A concerned minister wrote Bart asking what should be done about Bultmann and his disciples. Knowing Bart's reputation, the minister probably expected a get-tough answer, expose them and expel them from the church. If that's what he wanted, he was disappointed. Bart's answer was this. Do not do anything that might smack even a little of suppression or persecution. Our opponents, he said, are thirsty for martyrdom at the hands of irritated priests and fundamentalists. Let them stay thirsty. Instead, Bart said, spread out the food and drink of Psalm 23, verse 5. Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. Thou anointest my head with oil. My cup runneth over. Isaiah also foretold a banquet the Lord of hosts will make for all the people. A feast of fat things, he said, full of marrow, of wines well aged. The gospel is a beggar's banquet and all the world's invited. Beggars know a breadline from a feast. There's no need to rush or pressure anyone, Bart wrote. Let them stew with themselves and others as long as they like in the juice of their interpretations. Given time, Bultmann's followers will wake up and smell the coffee and the roasted fat things and the uncorked wines. The old theologian was speaking from his own long experience with students in his classes, among whom there were usually some who had come already trained to disbelieve the resurrection. 
and he had seen what happens. I am quoting. After the Ars Hermandi that now inspires them, they will acquire a longing for a proper love story that has some sap to it. Ars Hermandi. Stewing in juices, I understand. Love story, I get. Sap, I get. But what the heck is Ars Hermandi? I looked it up. I love Karl Barth. Ars Hermandi is a couple's technique for stimulating sexual arousal by touching one another everywhere but where it would count the most. It is sex without ever reaching first base. After the Ars Hermandi that now inspires them, they will inquire a longing for a proper love story that has some sap to it. So there you have it. It is written. When the trumpet sounds, the dead are raised incorruptible. This resurrection is no Ars Hermandi mind game. It is a full body, grand slam, home run.